0: Yo yo. Nice. Mm-hmm. What's up? <laughs> Not much. Not much. Just uh trying to uh trying to keep the productivity going.
1: What is your biggest challenge there?
0: Uh so far nothing really. Uh so so far it's still I'm still keeping the momentum going i'm pretty pretty cool yeah i'm gonna also gonna take a day off tomorrow
1: whoa perfect
0: yeah i'm going to uh universal studios
1: oh doing like a tour and sightseeing or (laughs) are you pitching your new movie or like what is
0: (laughs) no no (laughs) the uh the park the parks they so they did a thing where um like they're opening up for the whole public on friday yeah but before that, they're giving like an exclusive to um pat like annual pass holders oh, nice. to go on uh either it was you could either sign up for Wednesday or um or Thursday yeah and you were- dude their system is so horrible like I don't know if. If with like, so they had a huge amounts of problems and I'm just thinking like, I'm not sure how hard this could have been. I'm not sure if they have like horrible developers, if they have horrible product manager, like if the idea around it was bad, I just don't know. So what they did was they, they have different, they have different, um, types of annual passes. Like you can have yeah. the premiere, which is like the most expensive one. And it just has like, you know, all the perks then you have one below that and then there's four of them okay so what they did was all right well on when was it i think it was friday i think it was friday so on friday they were like all right at 12 p.m everyone who has a um a like the the most expensive one is able to go and register at this website okay sounds and good so far Okay. So it's good so far. And then you, and then at 1 PM, the other one, and then at 2 PM, the rest. Yeah. Okay. So they did that. And I, w- I'm on the second one. Um, so mine was at 1 PM. Okay. And I was like, all right, I'll just go and check it out. It was okay-ish in the way that they actually like you input your past number holder, uh, like ID thingy mm. with your last name and it searches and it finds your thing. And then it tells you like, okay, you, you are allowed to do it now. Right. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, now when it was my turn, I started seeing everybody complain. First of all, like the, the requests were crazy. Like people were having trouble doing it. Yeah. And I mean, for like a high traffic, okay. Like maybe it's acceptable. It's fine, I guess. But I started seeing like you, so I have to do it for me and my wife. Right. So I put my pass hold first and I start searching and they're doing it by dates. Like you can put in the dates and stuff. But then I start. I try to add her, and apparently you can only add one at a time. So you have to like go through the entire process of checkout from oh. only one. You can't add two at a time, and it was just so horrible. I was so mad. I was like, this is like the easiest thing to do. Like you can just add it by the card, and it just, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And like everybody's having issues with that. So there was like one guy who said that his wife is because what the purpose of this is is like to. To kind of split up the time that you go in, so you have to choose like you either you. So I told you you choose either Wednesday or Thursday, right? So yeah. I chose Wednesday, and then within choosing Wednesday, you have to specifically say at what time you're coming in. So they're like expecting you. So then you can say like I'm coming in at eight thirty, and and then once those get filled up by a certain amount of I guess criteria of people, then then it gets closed. So this guy like did it for his wife and since it's like, you know, split up, he did it for his wife at like 8:45. And then he did that and then when he went and did his, all the 8:45 ones was gone. So now he has to like his wife has to go in at like 8:45 and he has to go in at 9:45 now because of the split thingy.
1: Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> it's oh. so bad. <laughs>
0: it's such a it's such a crap show there.
1: Oh, that yeah, that
0: sucks. But Besides that all as well. I needed this, you know. We yeah, all totally need this that. kind of so it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice, nice time. Awesome. But uh how how have you been?
1: Yeah. Hol- <laughs> holding it together is I think the, the best description.
0: No, I'm gonna get you that one portrait that is like a kitten hanging from a tree. Yeah. The title says hang in there.
1: Oh exactly. So <laughs> it's not that bad to be honest, but I also, A, I'm really thankful for, like, we had a few, or we are having a series of public holidays in, like, very close um, order. So two weeks ago, that. there was a long weekend. Last weekend uh, was a long weekend. And in two weeks, there will be another long weekend. So essentially, every two weeks, we have, like, a longer weekend. And that's just a blessing because I really need kind of the, the time off. Yeah. And, um. We will probably actually visit a friend in Germany in two weeks, which we're contemplating a little bit. But yeah, it feels like still a pretty safe choice with how we kind of live and um, kind of all the COVID risks that you have to calculate nowadays. But we also feel like we need to get out of the house and actually see something else. And It's a must. I'm also... So I'm 100%... Uh, sure that i want to take three weeks of vacation in the summer and normally i wouldn't nail it down to like three weeks normally i would say yeah let's aim for like two and then see how things are and these kind of things this year it will be three um yeah it has been i noticed like for myself that like the base just stress level is, is much higher than it used to be and I definitely need to kind of get away for three weeks, not be home. Just we'll probably like we're thinking about different options, but we'll probably just try to get like a nice base camp somewhere, um, either with family or friends. Just not uh, here in the Netherlands, just get probably to Germany and then we'll probably yeah, try to crash somewhere for three weeks and then uh, do motorcycle like daily trips Mm -hmm. to just do things. Because it doesn't look like you can't really travel. Um, Camping spots are all booked out because now since you can't travel, everybody has to like take or do vacation in the country. So I don't expect that we'll be able to find any like nice destinations to go to. So we're trying to plan around having like a pretty simple um, yet nice vacation. And I'm really excited for this. And I'm really excited to take three weeks of vacation because I think I so desperately want to get to the point where I'm bored out of my yeah. mind. And I want to yeah. get back to work. I and know. And <clears throat> I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I'm honestly I have no idea when it will be. This is like one of the things that's really hard to plan right now. And we have to like yeah, I'm not sure. It's really hard to schedule. But I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm kind of very excited about it. And
0: I was thinking about this. Uh, I think it was either yesterday or the day before, as well, about the three weeks. Yeah, you're you're the one who definitely opened my eyes up to like three week vacations, and it just makes so much sense. It's got to be the three week three week rule.
1: So you you lived in Sweden. I talked to a Swedish colleague of mine, and it was so funny because they have like a completely different way to think about vacation than even like. I, as a German, do. And for them, so for them, vacation days is the status symbol that you aim for when it comes, for example, like to contract negotiations for your, uh, like you're looking for a new job, you're talking like benefits and the contract. Like, Mm -hmm. number of vacation days for her, at least, is higher than salary. Like, this is the one number that matters. Salary comes second to the number of vacation days. It's like a huge status uh, symbol. And then for her, it's like, yeah, of course I'm going to take four weeks of vacation in summer. Like, that's the least that you can do. Like, I'm gone for four weeks. And I'm sitting here and being like, I already feel like guilty about three. And she's like, no, it's no. only four. Like my boss has gone six weeks, and I'm saying, I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> actually,
0: now now that you mention it, this is the truest thing ever. For everything shuts down pretty much in the summer in Sweden. I remember this now. It is ridiculous, frustrating as a um, <laughs> as a like I don't know as a non-Swede like native. Yeah, It's so frustrated. And the the thing is that everybody takes, like, six-week vacations, like, two-month vacations in the summer where they're just completely gone. This is, like, most people. And the funny thing is that everybody that stays working in the summer is so frustrated that you don't get any, like, good answers from any company. Like, if you have an issue with your bank and you call... There's people that get hired by seasons, which is pretty much in the <laughs> summer because there's nobody working. So yeah. you get hired around the summer. And all these people are just so frustrated with their lives because they're not in vacation that they like they don't. First of all, they don't know anything. So you don't get <laughs> good answers. The second of all, they they're hating their life right now. So you get very frustrated people talking to you. It's hilarious Oh, and that. frustrating if you live there.
1: But yeah, it sounds so interesting. It was, yeah, it was so much fun to talk with her, but it's like, it's such a different world. And like, yeah. Yeah, we are had, pretty
0: much gone the entire summer, dude. It's like ridiculous.
1: The two of us already had a lot of discussions about like attitude and like our thoughts mm-hmm. about uh, vacations and holidays and like these kind of things. Like I'm German, like I always thought I was a little bit more on the extreme and then you as like the American <laughs> was like, oh yeah, I only need like one week every two years. Uh sounded ridiculous and then now that I discovered Sweden is like that the though. new like yeah. bar yeah. to match, it's like yeah, crazy. But yeah, um that's life right now, I would say. Um I've been slowly working through my side project. So the quickly recap for you. Yeah, so I'm like still building like this nice tool, hopefully eventually That helps you organize your documents on your local, like on your uh, laptop or PC or whatever. And I've started this with like the goal to actually get something done. And I've kind of taken like maybe two steps back. And right now it's more a learning opportunity to, in particular, explore domain-driven design. Awesome. And I've hit a really rough patch when I started diving into this because there were a lot of concepts that I didn't really know how to apply yet. Mm -hmm. And progress has been much, 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 much slower than I first thought uh, to the point Mm. where it's almost frustrating how little I get done. Yeah. But I feel like I actually figured some things out last week. And that's actually a pretty cool feeling.
0: What did you figure out? Share this
1: with me. Share the so um, as like a very brief introduction to domain-driven design, just to make sure we are on the same page. Domain-driven design, as the name implies, suggests that you do, like design your program according to your domain. Right. And how this is typically done is that you have like this layered architecture, which is typically four layers, where you have your UI, application code, domain model, and then your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And then the infrastructure is really about data access and like how do you store things in the database or mm-hmm. how do you interact with other services. It's really like the low-level I/O. The domain is the description of your like business model, and this is where you. Yeah, and this is what I really like about this idea. Like without being too specific about how things are actually implemented on like a database level, for example, how you describe your domain and all the rules that you have in there and. What are the interactions between your objects and very nice in a way i have to say and then the application layer on top of that is typically only like glue code to make the ui talk to your domain and the thing that i struggled with the most is really like the infrastructure layer and when i design my domain how do i actually write things in such a way that they make sense within the context of my domain but can still nicely be written to a database for example and there are like different approaches and suggestions. Um, one of them is the repository pattern to kind of hide the complexity of um, yeah data persistence. And this is one that I definitely struggled with when I tried to implement it. And kind of generally speaking, in my first approach, I really tried appro- like writing out my full domain model and essentially try to implement like a horizontal layer. and write out all my different entities that I have and the relationships between them and how they can interact. And this was super hard because it was unclear to me how this would actually translate to like a real life scenario where things were like had to be persisted somewhere on disk and loaded from disk and written to the disk again. And I kind of got lost in this because I had like these ideas that were just in my head about how the infrastructure layer would work. And then it was really hard to come up with like the right APIs in the domain model to make sure that things can actually be stored and loaded and saved. And like, who needs to know, like, for example, if you have relationships, like what do you actually need to know? Like, do you just have like the ID of an object or do you have the full object? And if -hmm, it's the full object, if you like, how does it get loaded and who holds this reference and like very complex questions about data access patterns, essentially. And, what I've done after struggling with us for 10 days, and I think like the last episode that we did, like touched briefly on my struggles there. I essentially mm. threw everything away and started fresh. Mm. But this time I didn't go for like a horizontal approach, but a vertical one. So I started with like one entity and then thought about how does that look and then how is that safe to disk. And essentially wrote both the domain nice. part and the infrastructure part as like one unit. And that made it much, 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 much simpler for me because suddenly I knew kind of the APIs that my repository, for example, needs to support to actually persist things and load them. And it was suddenly much much easier to think about the like workflows in the app as well. Where if you add a file to like your library, what does actually need to happen in the persistence layer? Like it needs to be copied to a certain folder, and it needs to be written there. And like to be able to do this, I need like the original path, I need the new path. Like suddenly it became much clearer what are the actual like constraints and requirements that I have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And partially, I think I could have discovered this before if I had written out my domain model a little bit better. <laughs> like actually like going in with like pen and paper and thinking about these workflows and making like flow charts would have probably yeah. solved this problem from the beginning. But re-implementing it like this has been actually uh, pretty interesting and kind of nice, I have to say. And I'm still curious how it will look in practice once it's done but it feels actually pretty cool to have like the separation of concerns and being able to reason uh, about the domain without necessarily going into like the, yeah, gritty details of how things then are actually like, copied around and saved and these kind of things. And yeah. define these rules and domain logic and like isolation is actually pretty cool. Plus, I'm, I don't think I'll have, Yeah, I'm not sure. (laughs) This is definitely one of the use cases that is very specific to like its um, kind of persistence. And like, I would not I don't have a scenario in place where it makes sense to implement like a second kind of infrastructure layer besides files on disk. Like, of course, you could store everything in a database, but I don't know why you would want to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: But it's actually really fun to kind of think about this when designing these apis and be like oh this actually buys me so much flexibility this is a really cool feeling and makes me actually really enjoy this methodology or like this this uh, approach because i feel like it's actually i'm getting to the point now where i think i'm worked through enough of kind of the struggle to start seeing some benefits and some payoffs and that's actually a pretty cool feeling
0: yeah, I think your uh, your change of approach from horizontal to vertical made it a lot more enjoyable.
1: Oh, most definitely, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, yeah,
1: yeah. The other one was just too abstract and it was too mm-hmm. hard to actually see how it would work in real life. And with this, it's much, much easier to grasp kind of how everything fits together.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I like that. That was a good idea. No, it seems like we both have the the same struggle, though, which is like on the infrastructure level. Which is like, how does it like? How does it look like? What does it go here and there for the domain to make sense in a domain-driven design kind of one aspect? Of so,
1: one of the things I ran into, and I'm not sure if you discovered this as well, like one of the concepts that you um, often kind of hear or read about when it comes to domain-driven design is this concept of entities and aggregate roots, where your mm-hmm. aggregate root is kind of the interface to a certain, like, very tightly coupled part of your domain. And it is linked to other entities, but you don't access them individually. Like, the example could be that you have a car which has an engine and wheels or transmission Mm -hmm. wheels or whatever it has components. But for users of your system, they only see the car. And these other components are entities that are within this aggregate route that is the car. And if you want to interact with a wheel, you would always go through the car to access a wheel, because a wheel doesn't yeah. make sense in isolation. It only makes sense in the context of a car.
0: Like you're saying that you wouldn't show the entire like the car and its different components to that pre- specific user because it doesn't need to know about it. Um, for se- yeah, I, that's that's something I definitely struggle with, and I haven't found a good way to actually like interconnect these things, if that kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah. So one of the clarifying things I read last week, which has like made this click for me more as a concept or made it way easier to work with. And I don't like, I will look up the exact quote for the show notes, but I will just paraphrase here, which says essentially that this pattern is about the persistence of data, like saving data and loading data. It's not about runtime access to entities. So in your code, you can still reference a wheel and have a wheel as a type in your code base and other parts of your code are allowed to rely on a wheel as like a type that you, for example, pass to another method or these kinds of things. But when it comes to saving and loading data, you can only do this as an aggregate route. Like you can only save the whole route and you can only load a whole route. You cannot load an individual wheel from the database because again, a wheel without a car doesn't make any sense.
0: No, of course, but let me just clarify what I said. Um, what I meant when I said, like, that this is what I struggle with. It's yeah. like, I, I guess I struggle with it in a way that I just don't know how to apply to certain applications or like yeah. certain types of software, because I do get the examples. I understand. Oh, yeah. The, I understand like what they're, what they're talking about. I understand the purpose of it. I understand how to implement it. But the examples that I get seem very specific and seems very well suited for domain driven yeah. design, you know, I whenever I try agree. to go for, whenever I try to go for my own software, like what I'm trying to build, then I'm like, crap, like then here, how does it make sense? You know, Yeah. like, I, I don't know how to like construct this because I, I, yeah. So that's what I struggle with. It's not that I don't get it. It's more that I don't know how to link yeah. the concepts to my own software sometimes.
1: Almost most definitely. I think this is one of the reasons why it has taken so long to kind of work through this and mm-hmm. get to the point where I feel semi-okay with what I have built. Because it's really hard to find examples that are complex enough that it makes sense to use domain-driven design, yet not so complex that you're immediately designing like enterprise-level software that has a thousand different workflows and really needs this uh, flexibility or this complexity. But... Like this, the small nugget to think about, especially like the aggregate roots as a way to persist data, not necessarily control access to like the sub entities, has been hugely helpful for me to um, push forward with my own design, because I created like this really intuitive way. I want to s- say to think about like how to actually st- um, deal with data. So which group of objects only makes sense if they're saved together and in my case for example so you have a library that you can put files in it makes sense to save a library and load a library because it automatically kind of controls the consistency that i need four files and the library can check that the files are actually part of the library i don't this is one of the things that i uh, ran into for example like a file has no knowledge of the library it's in like it only it's like a one-way relation which makes the implementation super simple, which is quite nice. Like one of the recommendations is to avoid like the bidirectional relations between objects, mm-hmm, has and exactly. belongs to many is like just impossible to implement. Especially if you deal with like memory management, this is just circular dependencies are are hell. So having just a one directional relationship is super nice for implementation, but that also means the file, for example, if I want to save a file, I can't actually check whether or not the file is saved in the right folder because i have no context of this and the file to be honest also does like it not doesn't necessarily need that context like the file works perfectly fine as a file without that context but then shifting to kind of the library as like the bigger unit and the aggregate root that kind of made it click because suddenly i have like this entity that can control the um, consistency of like my whole model and kind of that breakthrough or yeah, that was really kind of the breakthrough that allowed me to move forward this week. Nice. And I'm most like, I'm 100% sure next week I will have run into a different wall that will take me another week to break through, (laughs) but it's really nice to kind of see how these, uh, these things like slowly uh, come together and fall into place. And the, like, the most interesting part for me is kind of thinking about how I'm approaching the side project in general, or, like, side projects, um, plural. Because this has been a really interesting kind of learning opportunity, and it actually feels really good to take the time to learn. And in a way, I feel bad because I'm... I honestly, like, I expected to have something that's running by now and working, at least as a prototype. and I are
0: learning so much, though.
1: Yeah, and, I, like, I'm really far... Uh, Away from having a working piece of software. On the other hand, this has been an incredible opportunity to spend more time exploring these like fundamental concepts in a way. Mm -hmm. And over the last few weeks, in a way, I've started, like, I got this feeling more and more that I'm actually, there's so much I don't know about how to design software. (laughs) And same here. And like, for me, the, the interesting thing is, or the interesting thought is, I struggle with building, like, these small tools and utilities that I imagine in my head. And there's always this dream, and, like, this is how I imagine other people writing open source, and this could already be wrong. I always picture people just being there, having kind of this this idea or, like, this light bulb moment. They sit down for an afternoon, write a prototype, publish that on GitHub, and bam, Webpack was born <laughs> and I don't think that's necessarily how it works. I think Yeah,
0: like, just, I really hope not. Otherwise, like I, my confidence But like, let's be honest, like the origin shattered.
1: the origin story of Vue.js for example really sounds to me like this. Where it's like there's this guy who has always worked with Angular and I thought it was bloated so he just sat down and like I don't know how long it took him but I'm just guessing in an afternoon wrote like the prototype for Vue.js. Like this is how, at least to me, it's being sold in a way. Like this, oh, I had like this interest or like this curiosity and I just tried it out and it worked like the first time I did and suddenly everything is golden. Rails as well, like, oh yeah, I wanted just to build like a tool to build my own block, and like, here it is
0: i i i know I kind of heard that from the uh django um <laughs> oh, uh, creator, yeah. <laughs> that that he just he, you know he he worked for like an editor or something like that that he kept yeah. creating websites and one day he was like uh, like I, I do the same things over and over again let me see if I can like automate this in some way or like just make like a generator and he just it felt like he just sat down for for like a weekend and just popped up like one of the most famous freaking like yeah. web frameworks in the world
1: like maybe this just like uh, what's called like survivor bias? Like maybe this is these are the stories ho- really. you t- tell yourself afterwards because it was such a hard like yeah it took so long it was so hard to get to that point, but this has always been like this romanticized version of how I picture myself writing code at home and like working on side projects. So I was like, oh, I have this idea, and like after a weekend, I'll probably have like a super slick polished version of it, yeah. and. What made me so, and this is like where we get to the interesting question of learning. One of the thoughts that I had or one of the questions is that maybe things just take a lot longer for me. is because I don't actually have practice in some of these disciplines. Mm-hmm. And right True. now I'm working a lot maybe. with Java, for example, at work. And yeah, exactly. But what is super interesting to me is to see how heavily uh, we use patterns, like design patterns. Mm. in our code and like everything is implemented using some kind of pattern literally like every piece of code that i've looked at has either factories in there or visitor patterns or whatever makes sense and yeah i'm good enough to recognize the patterns and i also oftentimes have kind of a gut feeling when it makes sense to deploy them but i couldn't write them for example like just off the top of my head i would need to pick up the book and like look it up again and read about, like, the different uh, things. And the question that kind of popped into my head, I'm, like, curious to hear how you think about this. Like, I'm wondering if investing more time and learning here would speed up these things in the long run because suddenly, like, not everything is, like, a new invention, but you can not just rely on, like, habits that you picked up and um, exactly. kind of muscle memory that you build when it comes to building, like, writing software.
0: Yeah. I've always thought the same thing. I, I, I think that you are, um, I think you're right on that. That's a, that's a, I think that's an accurate train of thought. I've always, I've realized that people that just, cause people that usually that write some sort of tool or architect some sort of I don't know, framework or library or something like that. And it's like well architected. It seems like they just have multiple of those. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it seems like they they know exactly how to do it. And and so it's like it's more of practice type of thing. Yeah. I don't know though. But that's what I'm that's what I'm feeling. I think that it's it's more or less like practice and the more you dive into it. Like I said in the previous episode, I feel like we've been way too spoiled with Rails and it's oh yeah it's like so I think it's good that we're diving into these other, um, technologies and not being that, you know, spoiled because yeah. it feels like rails already does all that architecting for you and you don't have to like worry about certain things, even though there are still like patterns yeah. and stuff like that, of course, but like more in, in like architecting software in in the sense that you're, um. That you're able to know where to place things yeah. and how to architect things and it's like things have patterns for example like in all these other apps that you create like i'm just realizing like in react native or in, or in express like you start literally with just like a blank slate yeah. project where you just have your package that json for example and you are the one who just start everything from oh. scratch more or less but that's you know also I mean?
1: horrible like in a different That's also way.
0: horrible but you start like trying to yeah. like I'm saying that if you yeah. if you keep doing this over and over again, you know exactly how to architect your app.
1: you end up with your own framework, yeah, so it's interesting, like I'm definitely one hundred percent disagreeing with you on rails um I think it does give you a lot of things out of the box, but I still think it is a really good opportunity to practice certain things, mm-hmm. what I like. When it comes to like building things and like the practice part, I think what for me, where I'm with the experience that I have now working on things on the side for, yeah, for forever, like since I started writing code, I've always written things on the side. I feel personally that practice is not enough. Like it has to be deliberate practice. What do you mean? And so I'm right now, I'm practicing domain-driven design and I'm like really trying to understand like this concept and this methodology. I'm not here just writing code for the sake of writing code, but I'm trying to learn while writing code. And at least for me, I feel like I have neglected this maybe a little bit. And I have written a lot of code because I wanted to solve like a particular problem or because I just had fun doing it. But I didn't really set specific like learning objectives and didn't reflect on, hey, what did I actually learn here? What are the lessons that I want to take away from this? I looked at, I think a few weeks ago I shared kind of this Alfred workflow that I created. Yeah. I looked at the code and even now like four to six weeks later I find it in parts like horrendous and I want to rewrite it but when I wrote it back then I don't remember like critically reflecting hey what did I write like how does this actually look does it hold up to kind of certain quality standards I want to say. And now even with like four weeks of exploring domain-driven design, for example, I can look at the code and say, hey, maybe this could have been structured a little bit smarter. Like, oh, this is already kind of pretty hard to maintain. And there's like critical thinking and setting like clear goals and trying to like read up on certain topics. And like working on side projects for me has oftentimes just meant writing code. And I feel like I need to take a step back and say, hey, this is a mix of writing code and acquiring knowledge and it right. should be more evenly split. It shouldn't be 90% writing code, 10% reading something that might help me. That's kind of the point that I mean with like deliberate practice.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. That was, I sorry. was uh, a lot. very yeah, long way past, to get to that point. <laughs> pa- this past weekend I kept working on uh, just my portfolio site, Yeah. my personal website, and since I'm just for the sake of learning, wanted to do it in uh, Live View, Phoenix Live View. Yeah. So I was uh, I was going through it, and I was like, oh, there was this one free course that was there that I wanted to know more. Like, just because we started talking about like all this magic and like how you remember when yeah. we were talking about like magic and how yeah. even if you use it, like it's great, but you should know like the underlying yeah, of it to know exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that course explained it down to like the nitty-gritty. Oh, nice. Like yeah. Exactly how it worked, exactly what it does, between each request, how it is like being pulled and everything. Yeah. And I spent like I spent like four or five hours just like looking at the at the course following along doing my own experimentations with like debugging to trying to see like what it returns what it sends like between each changes and things like that and i got a solid understanding but at the end of it just because i deviated i was feeling so frustrated with myself (laughs) because i got like because i got like nothing done yeah you know oh yeah but uh yeah but then like i reflected, and i was like no like this is actually what we've been talking about and, and i i know exactly exactly how this works now yeah and uh and I and then like I just it it felt good to actually ha- gain that knowledge and be able to know what i'm what I'm messing around with yeah. rather than just using it.
1: Yeah, I think that is the the interesting part of this or like the important aspect. But yeah, we'll see. Nice. All right. I'm pretty sure I can give another update next week, and chances are fifty 50 that I hit another wall, so <laughs> be on the lookout. Yeah. Yeah. Fun times.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. Good talking to you, man. So, yeah. Till next week. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. Peace.